0: DJ Technique. So it was T-E-K-N-E-E-K. And I had the ripped glove that I would wear. So when I would DJ, I would literally start off DJing without it. And I would like have a whole thing where they would like see me put my glove on and they knew (laughs) it was going down.
1: I'm Nick Harcourt, and this is The Sound of Success, a podcast about the music that has shaped the lives of the money, business, and tech world's most fascinating people. Join us each week as we hear about the songs and bands that left their imprint on the folks who shape finance. I'm Nick Harcourt, and welcome to another episode of our Sound of Success podcast, where we talk with movers and shakers in the financial world about, well, the stuff that they do, but the fun stuff as well, music. On this episode, we welcome Tyrone Ross Jr., who is, among other things, the CEO of OnRamp Invest. He's also the founder of 401 STC, a storytelling consultancy, a graduate of Seton Hall University, was also, by the way, a 2004 Olympic Trials qualifier in both track and field in the 400 meters and recognized by the Investment News 40 Under 40 and WealthManagement.com as a top 10 advisor set to change the industry in 2019. He already did that part. Uh, And also named as one of the 20 people who will change wealth management in 2020. Welcome. We've spoken before, but never about music, really. So it's great to see you.
0: Good to see you as well. Thank you for the warm and kind intro. I appreciate you.
1: So how's your world right now? Before we get into the the fun stuff, what's going on with you? You launched your new business just a little over a week ago. Just tell us a little bit about what OnRamp is and how it's been going.
0: Yeah. So I'm CEO and co-founder of of OnRamp, which is a fintech company that is working to provide access to crypto assets for financial advisors just to make it easy for them um, to work with Bitcoin. Right. So the launch was exciting. It was an incredible week last week. A lot of the team came in for us to team build, and it was just a special moment. My niece actually works for me or with me, and it was so cool to see her here, and it was her first time in California. So it was just great for family bonding, great for team bonding, and, and great for just what we're trying to do. The time couldn't be better, so we, we were excited to launch, and we're glad it's over with, because man, was it exhausting. <laughs>
1: I, I follow you on social media and uh, I would suggest anybody who's listening to this do so as well. Just find him. He's on LinkedIn. He's on Twitter. He's on all, all the spaces where you, you would find uh, Tyrone. And, you know, we talk about launching a new business and the time that it takes to set things up. And then all of a sudden it's a reality. How has that been?
0: It, it's it's funny. And again, I don't, I don't have children, but I imagine it's like you go nine months of building something and just not really knowing what it's going to look like and all these things. And then it's out in the world. Right. And now it's about survival. Right. So now everyone knows what your baby looks like right now to you. Yes. Your baby is beautiful. Right. But people go, ah, look at the nose. Right. Like it looks like the mother or it looks like the father, whatever it is. So for us, it has just been the demand has been incredible with the sign-ups, but also again, now, your secret sauce, so to speak, is exposed. Whatever you were working on, it was secret, it's out. Competitors know, everyone knows. So now it's about pushing forward and making sure that we have the ability to sustain, to survive. And as as a leader of a company, there's so many worries that you have that everyone else doesn't, right? About how to keep it capitalized, how to hire, how to scale. You, You gotta be a visionary in so many different things. So it's incredible. The amount of stress, but also the ability to allow yourself to make decisions and be empowered by those decisions by being around really smart people um, that help you look smart. So it's it's been a, it's been a whirlwind for sure. But it, everything now is about okay, just don't die, right?
1: Stay alive.
0: <laughs> Stay alive.
1: It's as simple as that, just don't die. Yeah. Uh, I, I tell you what was a smart move, uh, I think, anyway. You moved to Southern California to launch this business. You're, out, you're You're down in San Diego, down from me in Los Angeles. That's a whole lifestyle shift, how's that been?
0: It has been unreal. It doesn't suck. Being in Southern California is like working up on a movie set every day, especially when you were born and raised in New Jersey. And it's not hard to like it here. There's palm trees, it's 70 and sunny every day. Shame on a weatherman in Southern California for collecting a check. That is a joke. But it has been wonderful. The people are so nice. It's slow. No one honks the horn and curses at each other. There's no potholes. The air is clean. <laughs> it's just, it's nice. It's Southern California. What else could you say?
1: And and you're just across the road from Mexico. If you've got a day to go through customs. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, not too far from Mexico as well. But I That's- am definitely missing the culture of the East Coast and the Caribbean food. And uh, so that I'm missing that part of home. Uh,
1: Let's talk about the fun stuff. Let's talk about music. It's kind of like a little Proust questionnaire just related to music. So let's start off with your earliest musical memory. What's your first recollection of music meaning something to you?
0: So there's there's two, but the the one that really changed my life I will tell you about. So it was 1992. God bless his soul. My older cousin who I love, Stacey Burns, he was like, cuz, I'm taking you to the movies. And we go to the movies, and it was juice. And I saw juice, and I was like, okay. Now, mind you, I don't really come from much. So I went home, and I just remember telling my parents, I want DJ equipment. And they looked at me like, boy, if you don't get out of this room and this house, like," I'm like, no, no, I want DJ equipment. I wouldn't shut up. So my mother actually, they saved up, saved up, borrowed, begged, and got me two BD-10s and a mixer from the flea market. And at 13 years old, I started DJing. And I DJed all the way up until I was 17. And I had to give it up because I went off to college, but I had a really prominent DJ career. Like I was DJing in clubs. DJing at clubs in New York City. I had mixtapes I used to do. Like, yeah, it was the real deal. And I was just like this really young DJ who could rock the crowd and do blends and everything. So it was just kind of like, oh my God, look at this little kid go. So man. I, I knew I had to, I told you I had a shocker for you. So you yeah,
1: I, yeah. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Before, before we started uh, the talking uh, time, <laughs> I said, I, I got something shocking to tell you. It's like, you were a DJ? Come <laughs> on. Man.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yep. So you, DJ for almost five years.
1: You need that on the uh, on on the CV, I think, as well, man. Because you know, absolutely. that's it's a little extra cred right there. Yeah, I think.
0: Absolutely, and what's crazy about that is, I was a year later. So again, parents had no money, and I had no records. And there was a town, it was a record store, and again, I'm showing my age, but it was a record store close by. And I remember walking into the store, and I'm like, I would go in and you know, I would work at that time and kind of save my money to go and buy a record or two. And again, you need two records so you can scratch and mix. <laughs> cool. And I remember going into the store and I told the guy, I'm like, can I work here? I was like, I work for records. Like I just, you can pay me in records, but I need records. So he's like, how old are you? I'm like a 14, he's like, you can't work here. So I begged and I begged and I begged. And he finally gave me a job and I was selling mixtapes and all that stuff. And they would pay me half of my money in, the, in cash. And I would get records with the other half. So that's literally how I funded my record collection, which is pretty extensive, by the way. I think some of my, my record collection is deep in storage somewhere. And the first song I ever mixed was the Isley Brothers, For the Love of You. And that was, to this day, that is my jam. But that's the only record that like, we had in the house. And to this day, if you play that song, my parents start to go into a tick because they heard it 7,000 <laughs> times.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wanna be living for the love of you.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that is that is probably my favorite song ever. I love the Isaac Brothers. I love for the love of you, but yeah, that is uh that's my music memory.
1: <laughs> did, did you have a DJ name, by the way, or was it just DJ? general yeah. What was so, your DJ name?
0: DJ Technique. So it was T-E-K-N-E-E-K. And I had the ripped glove that I would wear, similar to Q in the movie. I'm telling you, yeah, it was a real <laughs> deal. So in the, at, when I would DJ... I would literally start off DJing without it. And I would like have a whole thing where they would like see me put my glove on and they knew (laughs) it was going down.
1: (laughs) I'm going to do a deep dive on the internet when we get done with this and see if I can (laughs) find
0: it. We we need photos.
1: DJ technique, absolutely. So obviously you must have heard music as a kid that inspired you to do this. So what was the music that was kicking around your house when you were a kid?
0: So my dad is from Guyana. And South America. So when he came to America, he was just engulfed in American culture. So obviously, I grew up on Bob Marley and a lot of reggae music. But also being, you know, Guyanese, there's calypso music, which is big in in Guyanese culture. So a lot of calypso music. My mother is a Pentecostal Christian, so I grew up in a Pentecostal home. So you heard a lot of gospel music. And you know, being in you know church and just being exposed to that, and my mother sung in the choir, so did my sister, so they kept me out the choir. So was just exposed to gospel, reggae, and then my dad started getting into classic rock and that whole thing. So there was a lot of that, and even to this day, like I am, I'm a huge Eagles fan. I love Metallica. I love a lot of the grunge era. So. My musical tastes are very diverse. It just depends on the day, but that's kind of what I grew up on. It was an eclectic mix. One day it could have been reggae, the other day it could be Calypso, the other point it could be gospel. And then that hip hop influence was really heavy, you know, starting in 1992. And then what I started to realize again, as you research music and you really start to get into it and the blends, you start to see all of the elements that make up hip hop music and hip hop culture. So that, that was really interesting as well.
1: We, we talked about some of the, the, the records that you got when you were working at the record store, but do you remember the first album you bought with your own money?
0: That is a really good question. I don't, but I have a really cool bought the album story. Do it. So the, the, the year is 1997. I was getting recruited and going on my recruiting trips, and I was getting recruited by Boston University, and I took my trip up there, and Biggie's album was about to come out, uh, Life After Death. And it was about to come out at midnight. And again, at that time you would go to the store and actually get the record. And, And my host at the time who was hosting me, he was like, there's no way I can let you go on that side of town to go buy this album. And I just remember I said, and I was to this day, Biggie is, I love Biggie. I walked by myself, like got the directions, walked, stood in line, to buy this album and they were playing it outside and they were playing it inside. And it was the most amazing experience. People from all over and actually go to get your hands on that album. And I just remember buying it and I, I was on cloud nine, right? And, and, you know, and that was again, obviously shortly after he passed and that whole thing. So it was, it was such an incredible memory for me. And it was ingrained by the fact that I actually was in Boston at a meet earlier that year, when I found out he had died, so to mm. be back there and to be able to go walk to get the album is something I'll never forget. But that is definitely the one moment, the one album getting that I will never forget.
1: What was your first concert?
0: My first concert. Woo! Now I wasn't a big concert goer, if you could believe it, until recently. I want to say, man, and say recently within the last probably five or seven years or so. so. the first one, man, that is a good question. What was my first concert? Oh man, I don't remember. But well, I do me... remember, again, there's the ones that are vivid. I do remember my first festival concert. Yeah, and that was uh, governor's ball.
1: Oh, and,
0: and I saw Kendrick Lamar live and it changed my life. Changed my life, waited all day. It changed my life. And I had never been to a festival before, but everyone was amazing. But Kendrick Lamar headlined and it was like nothing I had ever seen. I was like, this is unreal. And then I just started going like on, <laughs> it was like concert crazy. I'd saw Rihanna and I saw Jay-Z and Justin Timberlake. And there was a whole bunch that i had seen, you know, up until that point, but that was the first festival I went to. And it was kind of like, all right, this is different. Live music was, was definitely
1: something that I wanted to see. Let, let me ask you two questions that come out of that. First of all, Governor's Ball, that's in New York. Is that the one that's on Randall's Island, which yep. is that weird little stadium yep. in between yep. the river and the freeway? In- and yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. So special but, place yeah. in my heart, because there's also a track there. So I've run track meets at Randall's Island. Exactly. So to go back there and for that concert, it was, it was unreal.
1: I remember going there years ago in the nineties, actually, when I was living in upstate New York, uh, we went down to see Pearl Jam. I'd never seen them. And I figured, you know, you should see this band because they're the band of the moment. And I remember going to this venue and being like, this has got to be about the weirdest venue I've ever been to. It's like an old rundown stadium, as you said, with a track and everything. And then the other thing is, what was it about Kendrick Lamar that, got you it was because again I grew
0: up a huge Michael Jackson fan right I love Michael Jackson and I I I will never forget like watching again I never got to see him live but watching his show the way he commanded a stage it was almost like he can get the crowd to do whatever he wanted and the way Kendrick almost like a maestro like he played the crowd and, and they, I, I forget what the number was. They said he spent some wild amount on the effects, like just for above and beyond their budget. He added all of these different elements to the show. And it was remarkable um, the way he orchestrated the show, the timing, the energy, the feel of, of and, and the pace of how to show, it. it was just, it was wonderfully orchestrated. And again, if you look at any of his performances, you know, on TV or whatever, it's always really good. But that one particular performance, you knew you were watching something special. And even if you go Google now, like Kendrick Governors, like the response, you just knew you were watching something special. That performance was unreal. I, I mean, people were just stunned. When he finished, he walked off. But it was just like, what did we just see? Right. And it was it was spectacular how he went through his catalog and gave it all up in that moment. It was unreal.
1: I'm guessing like me that you probably have music that you listen to that makes you want to dance. And then perhaps music that you listen to when you just want to perhaps, you know, go back into yourself, maybe feel a little melancholy or something like that. So two questions. What are the albums or the artists that you listen to or return to? When you want to move your body, when you want to dance around. And then the the second part of the question is, what are the albums or artists that you return to when you just want to sit with yourself a little bit? Maybe you're feeling a little melancholic.
0: So, oh man, so many would want to dance. I find myself always going back to to Justin Timberlake and some of his albums. There's some great there's some great soca and calypso artists to go back to and reggae artists, so many. But yeah, you could just throw on a good reggae mix and, and get it in. And again, I think I always feel like you could just play Michael Jackson's Essentials and it makes you feel good. Like if you can't just dance from that, I something wrong with you, right? So I kind of find myself going back to that. And then when you kind of, you know, want to draw in um, there's gospel, right? There's, there's gospel music that I'll listen to, but for me, it's, it's more, it's less about music and more about listening to sermons. I'll listen to sermons, but usually music for me is something to kind of get me hype, right. And excited but I don't really use it to draw in. But sometimes you get that introspective stuff. I will tell you this, when I am there, Joe Budden's catalog is very underrated in terms of how he went into deep, dark places. His relationship trajectory with women is very similar to mine in terms of (laughs) some of the Uh mistakes that he has made, right? So I kind of identify with that, not necessarily the drug use and all of that so much, but just that, That duality that he went through and his growth and and all those things. So when I'm really feeling in that mood, he does have some music, right? He has a song called Stuck in the Moment. Oh, my goodness. Like, it just, it it, it gets me every time. Just talk about, you know, being human, right? And and being in the moment. There's another song he has too, Only Human, right? Like, that's another song of his where it just really puts me in a place where you just, all right, I'm frail. I'm a human being, I have insecurities, I have things that worry me. And just to be able to speak about those with such confidence, I think he does a really good job of that.
1: Do you have a favorite artist that never quite made it? Somebody that when you first heard their music, you're like, this is a star in the making or just somebody that you felt was gonna be big and for whatever reason, they never quite did. Man, you got
0: some good questions, you're throwing them out. that never made it. That's such a good one. I know it would be in the R and B realm because there's this. It seems like if you want to fall off, you do R and B. And this is a tough one for me because I feel like he did make it, but he didn't make it. And I think it's probably Robin Thicke. I thought Robin Thicke should have had a, a, a incredible, robust career, and he hit it for a moment, but it just kind of fell apart after that. But I love his music, I I just, I love the sultry vibe and how he sings about love and that like that type of R&B we're missing and he had an opportunity to stamp his claim there and he didn't. So that one for me is a little heartbreaking. Come
1: on Robin. I think that's a good call as well. And it, it also reminds me how fascinating it is that somebody can be sort of right there about to be a huge star, and not just in the moment, but for years to come. And then they make one move that was not the smartest move, and hanging out with uh, um, yeah. uh, Miley per, per, perhaps wasn't the the, the best idea. At well, the MTV let's season.
0: just let's just call a spade a spade. Any man that cheats on Paula Patton is an idiot. So let's just call it what it is. That was yeah. dumb. So. Yeah. Yeah, we'll coming to you, buddy.
1: <laughs> what can I do to kill my career? I'm gonna cheat on my wife and then I'm gonna do this really weird thing with Miley Cyrus on the MTV. Wow. <laughs> that should
0: do it. <laughs> that should do it.
1: <laughs> um, but we're almost at the end of this right now. Let me ask you is there a recent discovery that you have that you'd like to share with us for our Sound of Success playlist? Because we're doing a Spotify playlist.
0: Lucky Day is unbelievable. What a talented young man. R&B he he put out an album on Valentine's Day I believe called Table for Two incredible his voice is so distinct and wonderful like you just know it's him the minute you hear him but Lucky Day has been a gem for me, a nice find, and I, I play his album constantly.
1: Let me let me uh, throw one back at you for, for, for you. I think you might like, um, you know, I do the uh, Spark Radio New Music, New Artists playlist every week. And if anybody's listening, they want to check it out, head on over to Spotify. That's what it's called, uh, New Music, New Artists, uh, Spark Radio. Uh, and last week, I added a song to this playlist that I think you might like. It's a song by Sophie Tucker, which is actually an electronic dance duo uh sophie is 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 the the female who sings and i forget the other guy's name his last name is tucker and he's the 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 guy who does all the dj work but they have combined with amadou and mariam who are interestingly enough both blind they're a couple and they're from mali and They've done this song together, which uh, I'm just going to recommend to you to, to, to go check it out. It's, it's really fabulous. And we will finish with uh, me asking you about any guilty pleasure. Do you have a guilty pleasure in music? For me, it's Frankie Goes to Hollywood, right? It's like whenever I hear that, relax, I'm just back in 1985. I love it. Is there something for you that, you know, you are drawn to that perhaps... Maybe you wouldn't want anybody to know, but you know, you're gonna <laughs> the, tell us the, all right now.
0: Yeah, the, the, the Garth Brooks alter ego, Chris Gaines. I oh. yeah, um, there, there you have it. I, I don't even, there's nothing to add after that. <laughs> you
1: but just- you like you like the record? Because for those who don't know, that's one of the weirdest things that ever happened. The guy was like the biggest pop, country pop star in the, in the world. And he decided he wanted to sort of put a wig on, and do an album in an alter ego, which was uh, Chris Gaines. And I, I've never heard it myself, but you like the songs.
0: I'm head over heels and <sighs> it goes. That is the jam. That is the jam. Oh, man. I got, got to go play it right after this now. That's my <laughs> <vibe>. <laughs> I,
1: I think he might be our, our first uh, guest on Sound of Success, who's actually sung on the podcast. So that's got to be worth something. Um, <laughs> And, and, and as we finish up, we've just spent 35 minutes or, or, or so talking about music. I'd always like to end with this question. How are you feeling right now in this moment?
0: On purpose. I don't waste a breath. Everything that I do, every time I open my mouth, every time I go to move my body is on purpose. And that is to make somebody else's life better besides mine.
1: Well, I, you, you are a man of your word from what I see. And every time we talk, I learn something. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to uh, talk to our audience here on Sound of Success about the music that uh, helped define you and the music that you love. Tyrone Russ Jr., a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, sir. Love and light to you. I appreciate you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klain. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at sparknetwork.com.